1: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week is Chantelle Jennings, and she's been terrific on all things women's basketball for the athletic, including uh, a lot of stories recently on Tara Vanderveer, the Stanford coach who broke the all-time coaching wins mark uh, over the last couple of days. Pretty amazing accomplishment. In this podcast, Chantelle discusses the NCAA deal with ESPN for all their, the different sport championships outside of men's basketball and college football. Uh, we get into whether that was a good deal for women's basketball, should the sport have been broken up, uh, what has to happen next. Uh, she's, a, she's, a, she's an expert on this topic and was terrific. We also got into the teams that she likes as we head deeper into the season. We did tape this a couple weeks ago, so since we taped this, USC did beat UCLA, so just a heads up on that. But um, Chantel Jennings is great when it comes to women's basketball. And she's next coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, we bring in Chantel Jennings, my colleague from The Athletic. She's a senior writer who covers women's basketball. If you're a fan of the sport, and essential read. Welcome, Chantel. Thanks, Richard. All right. So you, um, you were all over the deal that the NCAA signed with ESPN. Eight-year deal, uh, $920 million overall on that deal. ESPN gets, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, on any of this, um, 40 NCAA championships, 21 women's, 19 men's. The deal obviously does not include men's basketball. The deal obviously does not include college football. The deal's worth an average of $115 million annually. ESPN picks up the production And marketing costs. The deal runs through 2032, which is important to note because that's when the March Madness for the men's side ends. And it's roughly three times the value of the current contract that expires in 2024. Okay. So now I bring you in on this. Um, You've written a lot about what the NCAA may or may not have done with um, this championship deal. And then specific to women's basketball, which was kind of the jewel in this, they decided to stay with ESPN and they decided not to open women's basketball up for bidding. Uh now that it's shaken out, what's your big picture view of this?
0: I think ESPN got a pretty good deal here. Um to value this at 115 million over 8 years, you know, that's kind of the issue that specifically when you talk about women's basketball that we got into with the last deal which ran, you know, what 13 years, people were upset, rightfully so that You know, 29 championships were being valued at 34 million. You know, currently, as it sits, Charlie Baker, the NCAA president, says that women's basketball is valued at 65 million a year. In this right now, that is up almost tenfold from what they were worth under the previous deal. But I think we can both say pretty pretty clear-mindedly that 65 million is going to be way underselling women's basketball eight years from now. And so, I think it sort of kicks the can down the road a little bit. So you know, women's basketball fans, coaches can have a little bit of joy in what this means in terms of the money that it brings in. But I think ultimately five years, six years from now, it's going to be sort of the same conversation in terms of why is this deal eight years long? Why did they sign an eight year long deal when women's basketball and other sports too, right? Women's volleyball, gymnastics were on the rise in such a way. So it's it's a good deal for ESPN. I think it's a pretty good deal for the NCAA too, in terms of getting 40 championships on TV. I think there's a lot, obviously, that we can sort of pick apart about the deal. And I think there's also a lot that we can talk about in terms of what the NCAA should do next in order to create more revenue streams for these sports that are bundled into this.
1: Yeah, it's a good explanation. I'd actually call it a great deal for ESPN. I, I would amp that up, um, given exactly what you just said, because when this deal gets into the later stages, that dollar figure for the women's championship is going to be an absolute bargain so here's where i stand on this and i'm curious how you feel there's no doubt that espn is far and away the best steward for women's basketball like i think if you're just going to be honest um they've been the most important media entity when it comes to women's basketball they've grown the sport massively they've invested in it they care about it their production is excellent I still would have liked to have seen the tournament, ch- Chantal, go up for bid because I really would have been curious to see what someone else would have bid on it. But I, I still would have wanted it to maintain with ESPN, you know, sort of stay with ESPN. So that's not always the way business works, but I kind of wish it was – I would love to have seen what an Amazon or another entity would have potentially offered just so that we could have gotten a sense of maybe what the dollar figure really could have been. But in the end I still as a women's basketball fan would have wanted it to end up with ESPN just given how much they've cared about the sport. How do how do you see that part?
0: Yeah, I think the more I thought about it over the last year and a half and talking with people within broadcast and the sport, the more convinced I got that it was going it was going to be with ESPN for a few different reasons. I think obviously ESPN had a ton of leverage going into this negotiation, right? Um and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't think it's going to get out of that exclusive negotiating window. Because I think the NCAA and ESPN understood the risk in handing off this tournament to a platform or a network that has never broadcast a tournament like this before. The women's tournament is pretty unique in that that first and second round with home hosts, there's 16 different sites. And so to sort of hand off this crown jewel that the NCAA has to an Apple TV or an Amazon Prime or whomever sort of comes in and You know, even if they threw 80 or 85 million dollars at the NCAA for women's March Madness, like how confident can you be that there aren't going to be any mess-ups along the way that are going to ultimately hurt the value of the tournament and hurt the growth of the sport? And so I think that was probably something that was really firm in Charlie Baker and the NCAA's mind through all of this. And I think the other piece that as I spoke with people that was interesting with ESPN keeping it keeping the postseason tournament was that ESPN is also the most committed regular season partner. And through the season, even now, we're seeing them ramp up the coverage and sort of the previews for the postseason for the tournament, you know, the March to Cleveland, all of the sort of thing, right? If they don't have the tournament, is there really going to be that level of promotion for women's NCAA March Madness through the regular season? And does that also inherently then hurt the growth of the sport and hurt the women's tournament? And so, I think there were a lot of risks going elsewhere, a lot of unknowns going elsewhere. Ultimately, I think what have, would have made the most sense for women's basketball would have been a shorter deal because three, four years from now, let's say, there might be another broadcast partner who could have proven, yes, we can handle this tournament. Yes, we'll be able to handle marketing through the regular season. We're going to step up, step up and broadcast these huge regular season games as well to make sure people know where they can watch the tournament. So... You know, I thought another platform maybe could have proven that in the next four years. But again, the eight-year deal is a very lengthy deal. I think you can look at it in both ways. That's also ESPN committing to something as a true partner for the next eight years. But it also leaves the Apple TVs and the Amazon Primes and those sort of on the outside looking in you know, now I guess they have eight years to prove that they can put on a tournament the size of Women's March Madness.
1: Yeah, the world's gonna be very different then, uh, in terms of just how we consume stuff. Uh, but you'll be writing about that, and I won't. Hopefully, I'll be somewhere warm at the when that when that when that contract ends. Um, one of the things that I do like, uh, or you know, when I read this in terms of sort of the agreement is that women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's gymnastics are all guaranteed to air on ABC. Um, right. That's big. You know, one of the things that, man, did I beat this drum, or at least I try to beat this drum forever from Sports Illustrated to now, is to put these games on ABC, uh, particularly the the women's championship game and women's basketball, obviously a sport I covered and care about, because it really, you know, as someone who had covered media, it, and you know this too, like it really makes a difference. Like it, it game changes viewership. And then what the game change in viewership does is bring awareness, bring more, bring more dollars into the sport helps legitimize the sport as a business play. And the culmination of all this, of course, was this year, this past year when 9.9 million people uh, watched LSU Iowa in the title game. And that's the kind of viewership number that like a college football game would get. And so I imagine like me, Chantelle, you saw that and you were like, all right, this is very, very cool. Because even in a world where, you know, people are cord cutting and less young people watch network television – That makes a gigantic difference to be on ABC versus an ESPN or an ESPN2.
0: A hundred percent. I think that's one of those things where if you're a sports fan, you have ESPN or you have access to ESPN. And so I think people that aren't paying as much attention to sort of the media side of this are like, well, I don't care if it's on ESPN or ABC, I get both. Um, But when we're talking about specifically from the NCAA, NCAA perspective, growing the sport, making sure it gets in front of eyes, having it on ABC on a cable platform is huge for them. Um, Making sure that these sports as well, the FCS football championship, um, in addition to what you said, having all of these, what they see as high growth sports, more accessible. I mean, it's sort of been what I've said from the beginning. Like if you broadcast it, people will watch. It's what we see why, you know, cornhole or pickleball, like why these things people are becoming fans because for whatever reason, they're being put on these you know, higher level of broadcast services, people are watching it. The same is true for women's basketball. And, you know, you pointed out the title game last year, a big bump in that 9.9 million was because it was just so much more accessible to people. In addition to the fact that there were more, there was more coverage through the season and leading up to it. And the storylines were really compelling and people wanted to watch these amazing athletes, but also, you know, ESPN made it easier for people to find and watch
1: the last thing i want to ask you about in terms of the deal and then we'll get to women's basketball this year is you wrote about this pretty interesting just um, what you think then you wrote a column this is really good like sort of the next step in your opinion should be uh the NCAA and Charlie Baker specifically uh, incentivizing the women's tournament by giving by by sort of giving money uh, money to the teams/conferences that end up um, advancing in this tournament, which is what happens with the men. And then the coaches, you probably explain this better than me. And then the coaches would argue that, well, this, if money comes into the athletic departments, this then convinces my athletic director to spend more on my women's basketball program, which then again, just adds to increasing the sports visibility, increasing the athleticism of the players, et cetera, et cetera. Correct?
0: Exactly. This is like the... I guess, inside baseball for sports media stuff where it's like sort of into the nitty gritty of these contracts. But I think if you are specifically a women's basketball fan or this also, um, you know, for any sports fan within the 40 uh, championships that are in this deal, this is important to you, not necessarily the units part, but the second part that I wrote about, which was the third tier of um, sponsorship partners. But the units, yeah, it's something that the men's tournament has had for decades now where For both an appearance within the tournament and every win that team's conference receives money last year was about $2 million per win and appearance. And so you have a conference like the SEC, which didn't have a single elite eight team you know the sec brought home 34 million dollars for march madness last year on the men's side the women which had south carolina and lsu in the final four and lsu as the ultimate national champion brought home 0 dollars for that and so with this increase in revenue from the deal specifically like i said charlie baker has valued women's basketball at 65 million up from 6 to 7 within the previous deal You know, that's a tenfold increase. There should be money here to create some sort of a unit structure that rewards conferences of these teams. Um, And that ultimately shows athletic directors and, you know, stakeholders within the conferences, like, let's invest in these women's basketball programs. And the other side of that, which is like... (laughs) This was the it was such a challenge, sort of writing about this because it's so boring, but it's also so important. And you know, my editor and I were like, how can we write about this in a way that is compelling to people when it's ultimately just sort of this boring marketing shit? But like, there is currently, as it sits, the sponsorship or the corporate sponsorship partnerships that exist for the NCAA championships are negotiated by CBS and Turner Sports. That was a deal that the NCAA made with them, and the March Madness for the men's side within that deal. But there's not a third tier. And so basically the barrier for entry for anyone who wants to be a part of the championships from a branding, from an activation standpoint, the barrier is just too high for most companies. And so you have the Coca-Colas and the Marriott's of the world that can afford this, but then you have these smaller brands and maybe sports-specific brands when we talk about the 40 sports that are in the championship that just can't be a part of these championships because this two-tier system is so exclusive at this point. And if Charlie Baker were able to sort of negotiate this third tier, you know, assuming that it's not competitors with the partners that already exist, you know, if he were able to do that, that would be an alternate revenue stream for these sports. Let's say there's specifically, let's say there's like an insole for basketball shoes that's specific for women's footwear or something, you know, I'm just making this up, but that's a company maybe that doesn't have a 30 to $40 million a year bottom line or revenue stream. And so if they can be a part of the women's championship though, without sort of stepping on the toes, no pun intended for like the men's tournament, right? That is another revenue stream for women's basketball. The same goes for gymnastics. An example I've been using for a while is like a leotard line. That is not something that CBS or Turner Sports needs to feel like is going to pull money away or pull eyes away from the broad scheme of things, like Coca-Cola isn't going to be annoyed about that if some leotard company is promoting their leotard at the women's gymnastics championship but that is an alternate revenue stream for that sport, which in turn can help that sport grow because the biggest driver of growth for college sports is money. So the more revenue streams and the more money you can bring into these sports, these high growth sports, the better it is for the NCAA. And so those are the two things that I think Charlie Baker needs to get over the finish line. And as I've talked with coaches over the last few days, you know, that's also, you know, the unit specifically is front of mind and, um, The third tier of of partnerships is also important.
1: It's interesting. Many people have not written about that. So thank you for that explanation. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... season um as we're taping this south carolina ucla uh iowa nc state colorado baylor lsu stanford there's a, yeah, maybe i'm missing somebody but that that's sort of essentially like your top seven eight at the moment um i have watched i think every one of those teams and for me i, I do put South Carolina and UCLA at the moment ahead of everybody else, but I must say that when LSU is rolling, <laughs> I, I don't know who's beating them. Um, they, I know they have a loss already, but they offensively when like that ball is moving, like they just have shooters everywhere. Michaela Williams is just a ridiculous player as a freshman. I, I'm just not sure I've seen anybody. Just in terms of a clean shooter, be that clean in the women's game in a long touch it reminds me, of, in terms of clean, Maya Moore is probably the best player I've ever seen live or covering. And uh, man, I just I can't. Michaela Williams' future is just incredible. So you obviously have watched these teams more than I have. You've actually seen teams in person. Uh, as I'm as we're taping this um, in um, early January, what are the three best teams you've seen so far and why?
0: Oh gosh. I mean, I agree with you in terms of South Carolina and UCLA being sort of 1A and 1B at this point. They played last year, um, and so I think there's going to be an interesting potential for a rematch because there's going to be some familiarity with those two teams, but also South Carolina is so different this year Um, in terms of, you know, you talk about the offensive weapons that LSU has. I mean, South Carolina is just silly, Um, and again, they're a team like like UCLA, they sort of have a huge presence within the paint with Camila Cardoso. um, And then UCLA has Lauren Betts. And so I think those two teams to me feel, um, you know, like 1A and 1B. NC State, I'm saying this on Monday, January 8th, they lost to Virginia Tech on the road this weekend, but, you know, anyone who doesn't drop them from their AP poll, I'm, I'm, that's sort of the side that I'm on. They were just, to do what they did on the road, they were missing their center, River Baldwin and Isaiah James. Their leading scorer was on the bench for half the game. And still they took it to the wire and honestly controlled the game uh, against Virginia Tech in front of a sold out crowd. Um, Zoe Brooks was fantastic. Um, another freshman another freshman that people should be aware of. And so I think those three teams to me are, are the top three as it sits right now. But then sort of, what is amazing about women's basketball this year is the depth beyond those teams. And, you know, you've covered the tournament so many times, the best team doesn't always win the team that's prepared doesn't always win. And you sort of think about the teams that have enough weapons to sort of capitalize on momentum and drive. And I think this year more than any other year that I've covered women's basketball and and watched women's basketball, it just sort of feels like the depth of those teams in that next grouping where you think, My God, there there are several teams I think that if they catch fire like LSU did last year in the postseason, could win this thing in April.
1: Yeah, I like. I'm. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I actually like an early loss for a team because I think it like gets the coaches like really to get on the players. Uh, You know, Gino always loved that. And again, a lot of my covering women's basketball in person was like essentially the UConn dominance era, and he always liked when his team lost at a certain point because he could sort of. Remind them. And that's why I think that LSU loss is really good because I think Mulkey's going to uh, get on their case. One last one, and this will be the last one. I-, I don't really have a great feel for Iowa against the big teams. Clearly, Kate and Clark is an incredible player and in many ways like can single-handedly win games in the tournament. Um, maybe there's a certain point where you can't single-handedly beat like LSU. But but Caitlin Clark can win games in the NCAA tournament on her own. That's just that's just a fact. If you ever watch her play, um, where do you put them? Like in a let's say Final Four or Elite Eight kind of environment against one of these big teams? Do you think they have enough around her to win, or do you think at a certain point when you're really if you're Iowa facing high level talent that that's when I was hurt by not having you know, like WNBA talent around Caitlin Clark?
0: Yeah, I think Iowa's tough because again, you sort of have Caitlin who is such a unique and special player who if she drops 42, 45 in a tournament game, it's like, you're not really going to bat an eye like, oh, okay, got it. You know, it's good for her. Um, If anyone else did that, it would be like-
1: Off game, Caitlin, you should have had 50, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the key for them, and it it was the same last year, but in a different way. Last year, they had Monica Zanano who was Caitlin's post sort of those- together were the core of that team. And you sort of thought if, if Caitlin gets 30 and Monica gets 20 and a few other players cobble together six points, they're in good shape. Um, This year, they don't have a Monica in the post. Hannah Stolke has been pretty good for them there though. Um, I think now it's more like they, if they want to make a tournament run, they're going to need three players who are scoring at least 12 points a game. And whether that be Kate Martin, Hannah Stolke, Sharon Goodman, you know, Molly Davis, um, Gabby Marshall is someone who, you know, her three-point shooting hasn't been quite where we saw it last year in the tournament. She was a big key to them catching fire in the postseason last year. At one point, she was shooting, I think, more than 50% from beyond the arc through several games. You know, if she can get her three-point shooting to pick up again and be a 12, 13-point a game type player for the Hawkeyes, that's good for them. You know, a lot of this, it's going to be the same that we've sort of seen, though, from Iowa in the last few years, which is Iowa is going to go as Caitlin goes. I think she just needs a few more double digit scores around her this year as opposed to last year when it was her and Monica.
1: The only thing I'll say is this, like the game has changed. There's so much more. There are just so many more great players than there were in the 90s. It's just it's in many ways like a different planet, different sport. So I, I understand. But. The tournament has had instances of a player of Caitlin Clark's caliber essentially just shooting her team to the to the final. Cheryl Swoops is a perfect example of this. Like it has happened. And that will be fascinating to watch in the tournament because um it just makes for such a great storyline. Let's say if Caitlin Clark has to play UCLA or if Caitlin Clark has to play LSU. You know what you know what I mean? It's just it's like uh I, I it's a little I'm making I'm overstating it, but like the idea of like one versus five is just kind of a cool narrative. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and I hope we see that like i I'm rooting for Iowa to get to the final four because I just think it' stylistically will be so interesting to see them play a team that has much more depth and particularly like pro depth than them,
0: yeah, and I think so good points all around. For listeners here who are maybe sort of catching women's basketball every so often, you know the team that actually I'm so excited to see in the postseason is USC. Yeah,
1: um, I agree. They have the best freshman in the country, and maybe four years from now it'll be the best player. Um, yeah, in the country. I mean,
0: maybe maybe a year.
1: Yeah, maybe now. a year. You're right. I mean, You're right.
0: Maybe, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Michaela Williams. This freshman class as a whole is just sort of bonkers. Hannah Hidalgo at Notre Dame is putting up like ungodly numbers defensively, like six steals a game. Um her turnover rate is twenty-eight percent or something. It's it's just crazy what she's doing on on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. Um but Juju Watkins as an offensive talent, very different from Caitlin. She is a very good three point shooter, but she has more of a three level game and the physicality to go into the paint and sort of finish through contact is is quite a bit different than Caitlin, I would say And just this, you know, you talk to people around the USC program about her and she's just so different. You even talk to like her teammates, Rhea Marshall, who is a former top 30 recruit, you know, future WNBA player, you know, talks about playing with her as sort of this like amazing thing. And it's like, you're, you're very good yourself. And you're talking about this other player in these glowing terms. Um, So as we're talking about potential teams, Iowa is one of them where you're going to have one player who sort of throws the team on their back I think USC is also one of those teams that we have to mention now and perhaps four months from now I'm going to be looking very, very smart when the Trojans <laughs> are in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, love their coach too, by the way. One of my favorite coaches just in college basketball uh, uh, who was awesome at Cal, then went to the pros, in the NBA, and now back at uh, at USC. Um, Chantel Jennings is a senior writer for The Athletic who covers women's basketball. Check out all her work on that site. You can follow her on uh, Twitter slash Twitter. X as well. And if you're a women's basketball fan, um, I imagine you follow already, but if you don't, one of the essential people to read in the sport. Uh, Chantel, it's always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for coming on and for your work. And uh, I'll definitely have you back as we get close to March. Thanks for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Chantel Jennings for coming on. If you like these podcasts, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Paul Feinbaum was a recent guest. This week, we had Alex Sherman of CNBC and the Boston Globe's Chad Finn, talk about the Netflix deal and how that with WWE and how that might impact um, sports rights heading forward. Also, gotten to Sports Illustrated in that podcast. Again, check the archives out. There should be some stuff uh, you like. Again, if you uh, if you like this one, I did have Karen Brockett and Hillary Mandel on this podcast not too long ago and they were the people the deal makers essentially in the room when it came to the NCAA deal so you may find that interesting I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast